All right, we'll be in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 38. So go ahead and open your Bible. We're in our second part of our first part of our Luke series. Remember, we're going to walk through Luke from Advent to Easter. We're using four words, uh, purpose, process, priority, and power. And we're going to look at basically what Jesus did to change the world and what he's calling us to do to join him in that. The very first purpose of Jesus coming, as we talked about over the last couple of weeks, is to bring good news. That's why Jesus came. So whatever you may think about Jesus, the preconceptions you have about Jesus, he came to bring good news, not just good advice. Jesus is not your Gandhi or your moral teacher or someone that we can take some and leave some. Jesus came to bring good news, and the good news is that he's the savior of the world. So that's what we're going to see today is how did Jesus come into the world? Jesus came to bring good news. In a world full of fake news and bad news, Jesus gives us a breath of fresh air. He comes to bring good news. So for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at different forms of good news. So the first piece of good news was that you can be certain. This is super important. You need to check the podcast if you missed that because it's foundational to what we're going to talk about. This is not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. We did a whole sermon about how you can trust the Bible, how Jesus came so that you can know the truth about God, the truth about heaven and hell, the truth about your life and what you were made for. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to take a leap of faith even. There's plenty of evidence Jesus has come to bring us good news, and you can know for certain who he is, what your life is all about. That was the first thing. The second thing today that we're going to cover is Jesus came to bring us good news to tell us that nothing is impossible with God. This is so important. You want to write that down. It's the name of our sermon today. Nothing is impossible with God. Uh, verse Chapter 1, verse 37 says, for nothing will be impossible with God. So the, the two stories we're about to read exist to make this one point. For nothing will be impossible with God. And we're going to look at how this plays out kind of in your daily life. What does it look like for this great theme that nothing will be impossible with God for you, for this church? What does that look like in your everyday life? And that's what we're going to see from these two stories about preparing Jesus to come. Three quick things we're going to see. and We're going to work through this. Number one, when the problem is painful, nothing is impossible with God. Number two, when the plan appears to be on pause, remember, nothing's impossible with God. And when the people are perplexed and confused, remember, nothing is impossible with God. We'll catch those. You don't have to write them down. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Let's jump in. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, I want to go ahead and stop there. Remember, this is not a myth. You know what it does not say? It's once upon a time. Hey, once upon a time, there was this guy, and they know he had a crown or whatever. No, in real life, thousands of years ago, there was a king. His name was Herod. So Luke is setting the stage, once again, history about something that actually happened. And you can be certain that it happened. This is not a myth or a fairy tale. This is a true story. In the days of the king of Herod, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He and had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both of them were advanced in years. Quick stop. You know what we're going to do along the way? It's a long story. We're just going to take some pauses, some stops along the way to make some points and see what God is saying. This is super important, the connection between verse 6 and verse 7. And if you don't read your Bible slow, you won't make it. You need to circle the word but. You need to connect those two phrases. Why is he giving this information together? 
Verse 7 says they had no child, but he qualifies that in verse 6 with the truth that they were both righteous. Righteous not meaning perfect. No human is perfect, but they were both obeying the Lord and following him. Now, you're going to see something that you would miss if you weren't reading your Bible slow. As he's setting up verse 7 with verse 6. And he's making the point, I want you to hear me, that their infertility was not a curse, but a calling from God. Why is he saying that? He's saying in verse 6, the reason why they didn't have a baby wasn't because they did something wrong or because they deserved it, because they were bad people, because they were disobedient and God was punishing them. The reason that they weren't able to have children was because God had a plan. And this is the first point we're going to make. When the problem is painful, remember nothing is impossible with God. When the problem is painful, I want you just to get in the mindset of someone in this position. I want you to apply this pain across the board to other scenarios in life. What we learn from this is it's not necessarily true that the reason you're in a struggle, the reason you have pain, the reason something's not happening that you would like to happen is because it's your fault. That is not necessarily true. What we learn from verse 6 is that they were following the Lord and being obedient. And verse 7 exists because God had a plan. When the problem is painful, remember, nothing is impossible with God. While they were waiting, while they were praying, God was preparing. Waiting, praying, struggling, crying. And God's not saying, well, God is preparing. And as your problem, whatever it may be, may feel too painful, I want you to remember that nothing is impossible with God. That God has a plan. That God is preparing. That God is working things out. That God is leading this somewhere. That nothing happens by accident. And that just because there's a difficulty in your life doesn't necessarily mean it's a curse. It could quite well be a calling, which is exactly what they were experiencing here. And this is true throughout the Bible. There was an Old Testament pattern. This happens in Genesis 11 with Sarah, Genesis 25 with Rebekah, Judges 13 with Samson, 1 Samuel 1 with Samuel, that mothers are barren, praying, 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 and then God delivers because he's fulfilling a plan. And he brings someone into the world that exists to fulfill this plan. This is so important because the point is their affliction, the trouble, was not an accident. It had purpose. It wasn't meant to punish but to bless. Do you hear from God's perspective? The reason they didn't have kids yet was because God wanted to bless them. And he was going to do it this way. And does it take away the pain? Of course not. Does it take away the tears? Of course not. Does it make it feel better in the moment? Of course not. But what is God doing? He's giving us perspective to say when your problem is painful, whether it's infertility, cancer, something that has come on your life that's strugglesome, that makes you struggle, when your problem is painful, God has a plan. Nothing is impossible with God. So don't get stuck in it. Remember, God is working something out. God is always working something out. And we have like a modern day example of this. Uh, on Thursday, two of our very own, Clinton and Missy, adopted their two children Woo! officially on Thursday. So that's, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're very excited for them. It's a blessing to be there. Uh, but their story, and I asked permission uh, to share this, their story is one of infertility, many years of infertility. And now God led them through foster care for these two beautiful, wonderful children, for them to bring them into their life and now be their official adopted forever parents, which we're so excited about. And you see, and they would confess to this, 
that although it was difficult, it wasn't a curse but a calling. And God had orchestrated those circumstances so that these two children could be in their house. Because God has a plan. And so I want you to see the same thing for your life. This is what God is doing in verse 6 and 7. He's setting it up. He's reminding us when the problem is painful, remember, nothing is impossible with God. Don't get stuck. Don't despair. Don't be without hope. God has a plan. Verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So I just want you to picture this very serious moment. He's walking into this temple. All these people outside are praying. It's a really big deal. There's a quote I found in a commentary that basically says, Since so many priests served the temple, about 18,000, Entering the holy place to clean the altar of incense and offer fresh incense occurred once in the lifetime of a priest. So what is God doing? They take lots, but what's happening? Nothing's happening by accident. They take lots, which looks and appears random to us, but God has a plan, and he's orchestrating it, and he had planned before time for the lot to be Zechariah on this moment. God was working this out. This was not an accident. He's going to do it once in his entire life, and this is the time. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. You have to see this, how God is in the details. God is in the details of your life. This is part of the reason why nothing is impossible with God is because no detail goes unnoticed. God doesn't overlook things. God doesn't accidentally come upon things. God doesn't just work things out. He plans them. So now Zechariah is here in the temple because God has a word for him because nothing is happening by accident. Verse 11, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. So here's our second point. The first is when your problem is painful. Remember, nothing is impossible. The second thing is when the plan appears to be on pause. Remember, nothing is impossible with God. This is so important. I just felt like this was the, really the part of the sermon where it was just, sometimes you're preparing something in your life. This is what the Lord really had for us. There's so many of you in this season of waiting or what you would call stagnation, or you're not sure what's next, and you feel like your life right now seems kind of pointless, or your prayers aren't being answered, you're in a spot where you feel like everything's on pause. And what God wants to teach you here is that, no, he's always working out his plan. So when life appears to be on pause, when the plan of God appears to be on pause, remember nothing is impossible with God. A little background here. God, up to this point in the history of the Bible, had been silent for the last 400 years. So God goes throughout the Old Testament. He's speaking through his prophets, different things. And then out of punishment towards his people, he's planning the way. He has 400 years of silence. He doesn't speak through a prophet. He doesn't speak through anybody like that. Silence. And after 400 years, when it appears that God's plan has been paused, he shows up and he speaks to Zechariah. And now speaking to Zechariah, he's going to orchestrate and bring in the whole plan to bring about John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus so Jesus could come, live, die, and rise again for the salvation of the world. God is preparing his plan. When it appears to be on pause, God is preparing his plan. I love this point here. You should circle it where he says, your prayer has been heard. 
Do you hear? You gotta follow what's happening. Zechariah, it says earlier, was old, advanced in years. I assume this wasn't a prayer he was praying anymore. I don't think he was still expecting. I thought that might have been dead in the water. Prayed and prayed and prayed. Now they're old and advanced in years. He's probably not pursuing that way anymore. And get this. He says, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. He's coming in response to that. Listen, this is very important. Often when we think the answer to our prayers is on pause, they are actually in progress. You think the answer to your prayer has been on pause. Hit the ceiling, stop right there. It's been days, months, or even years. What you cannot miss out from this text that we see is that Zechariah had prayed this prayer for years. Pause, pause, pause. It felt like no, no, no. And God was orchestrating his plan. What Zechariah thought was pause, God thought progress. When you think the plan of God for your life is on pause, no, 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 think progress. God's progressing it through. He's working it out. When we think our prayers are on pause, God is working them out. It is actually in progress. And you're going to see this. Why? There's this part here where it says in verse 13, 14, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, and he will be great before the Lord. And just think about the amount of joy and gladness and glorifying the Lord that comes about when something this ridiculous happens when prayers are finally being answered after all this time. The joy and the gladness goes through the roof. And I think this is important for your own prayer life when you think about your relationship to God. Often the answer to our prayers is in progress because God is preparing us for it. He's preparing us to receive it. He's preparing us to get it. He's preparing us to rejoice in it. He's preparing us for the moment that it is. God knows exactly what you need, when you need it, and he knows how that fits into his plan. And God's orchestrating all these things and bringing them together to prepare you for the moment when he does answer the prayer in the way that he deems just right. When your prayers are on pause, they're actually in progress, and often God is preparing you for the answer. So that when he delivers according to what you have prayed, your response will be to glorify and honor him. So, let's move on. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even from his mother's womb, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to children, the disobedient of the wisdom of, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people, say it with me, prepared. Prepared. What have we been talking about this whole time? What is God doing? He's preparing something. What is God doing over thousands of years? Preparing something. What is God doing over the years of your life? Preparing something. God is always preparing, always working, always fulfilling his plans. Nothing happens by accident. God is preparing his people to bring the Messiah. He's preparing your life to glorify his name. Nothing is on pause. Everything is in progress. We have to believe that God is working this way. He's preparing a people. Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So here in Luke is the fulfillment of this prophecy from Isaiah 40, that someone would come to prepare the way. And John the Baptist particularly fulfills this, because he's this crazy guy in the wilderness, eating roaches and stuff, and crickets, and drinking honey or whatever, or eating honey or whatever you do with honey. And he's preparing the way of the Lord. He's yelling in the wilderness. Now, I want you to see something. Look what God's doing. Think about this. A womb that was empty 
was actually being prepared to give birth. An empty womb, in God's mind, was preparing to give birth. 400 years of silence, in God's mind, was preparation for a shout in the wilderness. What we call empty, God calls full. What we call silence, God calls speech. God is preparing. You have to think this way. This gives us perspective on what God is doing and how he works in the world. God is always working. He's always fulfilling. He's always preparing. He's never not doing nothing. He is always working. An empty womb was preparation for birth. I have to think about this with God. That's what it means when we say nothing is impossible with God. And you think, my situation feels as empty as an empty womb. And I don't feel like I can give birth to the plans God has for my life. Whether it may be metaphorically or literally, you're struggling with that. God wants to speak to you today to tell you and to show you how he works in the world. That what you think is empty, God is preparing. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't left you. He's not ignoring you. He's not abandoning you. God is preparing you. And oftentimes for his people, as we walk in his path, the struggle is really a setup. It's a way for God to bless us. This is God's perspective. And Zechariah said to the angel, his response is one we would say, how shall I know this? I am old and my wife is advanced in years. Get this. He wasn't ready for the answer to his own prayer. How many times are we like that? Lord, please, Lord, please. And then it happens. We're like, wait, what? No, that couldn't have been. Nah, that must have been an accident. Must have been a coincidence. Nah, it's just can't. Zechariah's like, wait, no, no, no. You know, that's what we would be like. How will I know this? How many times have we asked God that same question? God gives us a promise in the word. I'm working all things together for your good. For those who love me or are called according to our purpose. And we say, how will I know this? We're going to see later the way we know these things is how he fulfilled his promises in Jesus. Save that for the end. All right. The angel answered him. He said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. <laughs> He's just kind of like, dude, I'm like an angel talking to you right now. What do you mean? How will you know this? Like, come on, bro. I was sent to you to speak the good news. Good news. Jesus comes to bring good news. And behold, now you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. And every wife said, amen. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine? Like, literally, he goes home and for nine months he can't talk. So I don't know if that was a blessing or a curse, but we'll see. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay. They are probably wondering if he was dead. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them. He remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. For five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. I want you to underline when he looked on me. Thus the Lord has done for me when he looked on me. Once again, as we just discussed, God sees you. Like for real, right now, in your situation, in your life, in your circumstances, with your troubles, your sorrows, your emptiness, your difficulties, your pain, God sees you. God is looking on you. God is preparing his plan for you. God is working these things out. Even if it was your own fault. Even if your problem now is a direct result of your own sin. Nothing, nothing is impossible for God. 
cannot screw up God's plans. You cannot defeat his purposes for your life. Nothing is impossible for God. Be encouraged. God sees you. When he looked on me, she says, he took away my reproach. Psalm 25.3 says, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. I think this is so important. You see this text? This is what Elizabeth is saying. God has taken away my shame, my reproach. I was barren, and that was a shameful thing for me in this society. Uh, I felt outcast and alone and ashamed. And for my whole life, I was dealing with reproach. And she's saying, God sees me, he delivers, and he takes away my reproach. Now, what we're going to see from this is it's not always true that it happens in this life the same way. But what God does for his people, Psalm 25, 3, is when we wait for him and don't try to manipulate our own circumstances or force things to happen and trust his way and his plan, nobody who puts their confidence in the Lord, who trusts the Lord, who waits on the Lord, who looks like an idiot sometimes because they're so patiently waiting on the Lord, none of those people will be put to shame. Meaning, God will vindicate your trust. God will vindicate your trust. You trust him, he will come through. And it may not be exactly like you think. It may not be the direct answer to the prayer that you prayed. But God will vindicate your trust. And the scriptures give us this reality that we're going to stand before the God, God one day in front of the whole universe. And God's going to vindicate his people. They were killed, slaughtered, murdered, made fun of, disrespected. And now they're seen to have chosen the right path. They're vindicated. You thought your waiting was foolish. You thought taking you that route was stupid. The world told you not to give it all away, and God vindicates your trust. You trust the Lord with your resources. God vindicates your trust. You trust the Lord with your life, your marriage, the difficulty. God vindicates your trust. Nobody who trusts in the Lord will be put to shame. Nobody. And nobody can make you that promise other than God. I want to show you something that we're going to jump into the passage about Mary, but because we're on the subject of shame, I thought this was very interesting. So Elizabeth is barren. She gets a blessing, namely being pregnant, and that takes away her shame. So now in society, she's seen as blessed. Now we're about to read Mary, who's a virgin and a young person, gets pregnant before she's actually married. And what we see as a blessing because of the scriptures, the world would call a curse. You see what's happening? Both women blessed by God supernaturally. The world sees one as a blessing and one as a curse. One woman, because of the blessing of God, gets her shame taken away in the moment. The other woman, Mary, because of the blessing of God, gets shame put on her life. Elizabeth gets shame taken away. Her reproach is gone. Blessing from the Lord. Mary gets an even greater blessing, a virgin woman gets pregnant, and she gets reproached. So you have to see, remember heaven's perspective, okay? This is so important, heaven's perspective. When the world sees a mess, God is doing miracles. Look at this, when the world sees a mess, God is doing miracles. The world would call one cursed and one blessed, but the reality is they were both blessed. The reality is they were both a part of God's plan. The reality is neither one of them had reason for shame. And God is working and doing all these things. And Mary was vindicated, but not that first month, not the second month, not the third month. She had to live with that for a long time. And explain to people, yeah, I saw an angel. They'd be like, "Uh uh-huh. I know how people get pregnant. It's not by angels. We all know that. They're like, no, sure, you know. Imagine. Imagine they have me like, eh, okay, sure. And she lives with that. 
And when does she get vindicated? Probably before the Lord one day. He was still mocked. He got crucified. So you have to see heaven's perspective. When it looks like a mess, man, it's possible that God is doing a miracle. When we see reproach and shame, it's possibly that God is blessing. When someone reproaches or shames you because you're essentially trying to follow Christ, that's a blessing. Matthew 5 says it particularly that way. Great is the reward for those who have been persecuted and slandered. It's a blessing. When we see a mess, God is doing miracles. Remember, when the plan is on pause, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Okay, last story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and virgin's name was Mary. You should underline Nazareth, house of David, all these different things. He's setting up historical stuff. These are fulfilling promises that this would happen. The Old Testament speaks of this. The Messiah has to come from the house of David. These things matter. These are facts. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled, once again, at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the fulfillment of the promise made thousands of years earlier. God is working out his plan. So you see in the first instance, God takes a barren womb and makes it give birth. Now he decides that's not quite enough. He steps it up a notch. And he says, I'm going to take a virgin womb and I'm going to make it give birth to fulfill my plans and my purposes. What I want you to see is that God can give birth to his plans whatever way he wants. God can bring to pass, give birth to his plans whatever way he wants. He doesn't need your approval. He doesn't need all the situations to work out like you think it does. He doesn't need what you think you need to make the thing happen. God can give birth to his plans any way he wants. Barren womb, virgin womb, thousands of years later, whatever it may be, God can give birth and bring to pass his plans any way he wants, which means your problem is not going to keep God from fulfilling his plan. There are no barriers in God's mind. There's no such thing as a barrier to God. There's no such thing as an off time to God. There's no such thing as something that won't work out to God. There's no such thing as a problem too great for God to work in and work through. There's no such thing as you screwing your life up too much for God to redeem. There's no such thing. This is why nothing is impossible with God, because God can give birth to his plans for the world and for your life any way that he wants. He does not need... A spouse to give birth to a child. He doesn't need a womb that works to give birth to a child. He doesn't need your intelligence, skill set, or ability to figure things out to give birth to his plans in your life. He doesn't need everything to be just perfect around your life to give birth to his plans in your life. He doesn't need you to be healthy to give birth to his plans in your life. He doesn't need the family to be restored yet to give birth to his plans in your life. He doesn't need those things to work out to give birth to his plans in your life. And we pray, we say, yes, Lord, bring the healing, restore the family, do all these things, yes and amen. But we're not waiting for that to happen to give birth to God's plans. God is doing something, God is preparing something, and yes and amen, we hope he does exactly sometimes what we ask. But in the season of waiting, remember, what feels like is a pause, God is working in progress. So the angel delivers this message. God makes an amazing statement here. He gives very specific things about Jesus. The first... This is the Son of God. He's not just a man, 
not just a moral teacher, doesn't just dispense good advice, isn't someone just to be listened to. He's the Lord, the Son of God, someone that demands to be followed, trusted, and obeyed. When Jesus comes in the world, make no doubt about it, the Bible calls him God, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He will reign on the throne of David forever, which is through the Old Testament, God is fulfilling his plans. He made a promise to establish David and his household forever. God is bringing that to pass thousands of years later through Jesus by a virgin without the father who's in the lineage of David actually giving birth. Joseph is the one that's in lineage with David, the house of David. That's Joseph. Jesus is not Joseph's offspring. And so you would think this is not going to happen. But Jesus doesn't need the way that we think the world needs to work. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he came to fulfill the Old Testament, not to abolish it. In Luke 24, Jesus rises from the dead. He finds two men on a road. And he explains to them how the Old Testament fulfills his plans, how Jesus is the point at which all things are working. 2 Samuel 7 says this. It's a prophecy about Jesus to come. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. We shall come for your body. I will establish his kingdom, Solomon. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Solomon dies, by the way, which is his biological son. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, stripes of the sons of men, still Solomon. My steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from you forever. And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God makes these promises. Israel is at the top. They are the elite in the world. Sooner or later, they begin to disobey, have bad kings. Eventually, they get taken into captivity from the Babylonians. And now, instead of being on top and ruling the world, they are servants and slaves to another people. They eventually go back to their land, and then God doesn't speak to them for 400 more years. And everybody has to wonder, how are you going to bring to pass your promise to make the house of David reign forever? Now, how many of you feel like that in your life? Look at all these situations. There's no way God could work this out. They're like, we're slaves now. We don't rule anything. We don't even track. We don't even know. We don't even have a king anymore. How is God going to bring the Messiah from the house of David and establish a kingdom that will reign forever? This is not working out. Oh, we get our land back. And now God's silent for 400 years. And everybody who already has this text of scripture has to be wondering, what is God's plan? The situation is too dire. Things don't make enough sense. How is God going to bring to pass his purposes? It made sense when he was talking to David. It does not make sense now. And many of you feel the same way. Your plan is dire. Your life is dire. Things are not working out. And you wonder how God can fulfill his purposes and plans for your life. And I want you to see in the same way that this was no difficulty for him. And that he is actually doing all that on purpose. It's true for your life as well. Daniel 7, another, another prophecy says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. This is why Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. He's pulling from this prophecy. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented to him. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. God is working his plan out to establish his kingdom forever. When he brings Jesus on the scene, he's making good on his promises. This is what God is doing. And next week, the whole sermon is about how God keeps his promises. So thousands of years later, 400 years of silence, and then God shows up. Now just put your life in perspective. What you think is a pause, think darkness. What you think you're waiting, think God is preparing 
what you think feels like a long time, remember, to God feels like a short time. And God is working out his plan. In Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, and wait for the Lord. This is part of the message God wants to deliver to you today, is that because you believe nothing is impossible with God, now you have strength to wait. Sometimes we think nothing is impossible with God. So I run out of here and I take over the world. Yeah, you know, and I feel sorry. I'm going to go do this and that. And life is going to be great. Nothing's impossible with God. And that's good sometimes. We need to have courage and confidence and faith. Yes and amen. But at the same time, sometimes that truth just gives you what you need to wait. Just to say, like, this really sucks, but God, I trust you. Nothing's impossible with you. This is not too bad. You are working things out. You do love me because you sent Jesus. I know you keep your promises. I'm trusting you. And I know nothing's impossible with you. And that's not necessarily charging me up to go change the world, but it's given me the strength to wait. It's given me the strength to trust. It's helping me not feel hopeless. It's reminding me that I'm not in despair. Things are not over. God is working out his plan. This is important for us. So here's the final one. When the people are perplexed, remember, nothing is impossible with God. Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Very good question. What, how? What are you talking about? Once again, how will this be since I'm a virgin? It's the same question we have. We're asking all the time, God, how are you going to work this out? How are you going to use me? I'm too weak. How are you going to use me to reach my neighborhood? I'm too introverted. How are you going to use my life? I am a mess. I have so many problems, so many issues. How am I going to help somebody else when I have so much to work on? God, how are you going to use me? How will this be? And God responds to her and he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. I want you to think Acts 1.8. When Jesus lived, died, rose again, his people are waiting for the mission. But how does God empower them for the mission? He sends in Acts 1 8, says, I will send the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, he empowers them by the Spirit. Same thing, same thing. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who is called barren. Why do these two stories exist? Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. This is a setup. God is setting up the whole history of the world to make this point that nothing is impossible with God. He could have done it any other way, and he could be orchestrating your life any other way. But he's not. He's doing it the way he's doing it now to make a point that nothing is impossible with God. God orchestrates the human history to make this point. He's orchestrating your life to make this point. Nothing is impossible with God. The whole reason God did it this way was to make it point. You had a barren womb and a virgin womb. One of them comes the setup. The other one comes the Savior. God is working out his plan. And God is doing the same for your life. God wants to do, I'm telling you, impossible things with your life. He wants to do things that don't make sense. He wants to do things that are beyond your power, your ability, your skill set, your resources. He wants it to be clear that you never did it in the first place. Me neither. He wants to do impossible things with this church. Why? Because he doesn't want this church to get any credit for it. He wants to do impossible things through our church, through the things that we're doing, because that's what he does. God wants to use your life to show himself off. Your struggle is a setup for God to show off. It's a setup. God is showing off, and he's doing this. And I want you to remember in the midst of that that he's already shown his love for you by sending his son Jesus to die for you. It's not because he doesn't love you, but because he's uh, orchestrating his plan for your life. 
you wonder how God will use me, I want you to remember nothing is impossible with God. You think I have too much shame and mess in my life. Remember, nothing is impossible with God. You think I don't have anything to offer. Remember, nothing's impossible with God. There's no way I can reach my coworkers. Nothing's impossible with God. There's no way my family could be restored. Nothing's impossible with God. There's no way I could reach my neighborhood. I don't even like to talk to anybody. Nothing is impossible with God. There's no way God would use me. Who am I? Nothing is impossible with God. Remember, in the scheme of the kingdom of God, weakness is an advantage. Weakness is an advantage. What does God do throughout all of history? He takes people's weaknesses, and then he uses those people because they can't take any credit for what he did. Moses has a stuttering mouth. I'm going to use you to free my people and speak to Pharaoh. And on and on we go, over and over again. God uses the weaknesses of people to bring about his plan. You think you're weak and you don't have much to offer. It's more than likely God is going to do the most through your life. Genesis 18 and 14, is anything too hard for God? Job 42.2, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Matthew 19.26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, with God all things are possible. You know the most impossible thing that would ever be able to happen is that you and I could be saved. The most impossible thing is that God would become a man, would live a life that we could never live, a perfect life, would die the death that we deserve, would be raised again from the dead, and would offer salvation freely to anyone who would trust and believe in his name. It is impossible for us to save ourselves, impossible for us to do enough good works, impossible for us to fix our own sin. The only way that God makes this possible is through Jesus. And that's the greatest thing that could ever happen to anybody. The thing God wants to make possible in your life is the salvation of your soul. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, today is the day, and baptisms are on the way, and you can do it all today. The Lord wants you to trust and follow him. He wants to do impossible things for your life. He wants to save you. He's the only one that can. So turn to him. And for all of us, the Lord wants to do impossible things with your life, with this church. And I want you to have faith to believe that. I want you to remember how God has worked in history, how God brought about his plan. So when your problem feels painful, remember nothing is impossible with God. When the when your people feel perplexed and you don't know what's happening, remember nothing is impossible with God. When the plan or your prayers feel like they're on pause, remember nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. God, we thank you that nothing is impossible with you. We thank you that that's true and that it's verified by something you've done in history, Lord. It's not a wish. It's not something we hope to be true. It's not something we wish was true, but it's true. And we thank you, Lord, that you're doing the same thing in and through our life. I pray that you would give your people, give us strength to wait, that none who trust in you will be put to shame. I pray, Lord, that in the midst of whatever pain and difficulties may be present in this room, that you would remind all of us, God, that nothing's impossible with you, that you love us and are working out your plans. God, give us faith to see. Give us strength to believe. Help us to know who you are and to trust you and how you're working in the world. We thank you for the good news of sending Jesus to make this point. Lord, help us to be a church that attempts impossible things to show off how possible everything is with you, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.